Welcome everyone to podcast number two of Imperfect Parenting. And uh, we're on the couches again, uh, Rob Benar and uh, Dr. Rob Luke. Do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about what's on your mind? Yeah, morning, Stu, and morning, everyone. Um, so, for this uh, podcast, I want to come back to this term, imperfect parenting. Last uh, last uh, podcast, we were talking about this idea of, I guess you could say, putting too much pressure on ourselves having unrealistic expectations of ourselves and maybe even of our kids around this parenting thing being wonderful and seamlessly good. Uh, This time, though, I want to talk about another take or another facet of this term imperfect parenting. And that is for us to accept that um, in actual fact what we're doing isn't perfect, that we're not perfect, that there's a way to go yet. And for me, this is one of the paradoxes, I think, of human relatedness. That on the one hand, and honestly, I really think that we deeply need to accept ourselves for who we are. We need to be okay with ourselves just as we are. I think that that's true. I think it's a gift that we can give to our children, this uh, gift of of fundamental self-acceptance. And I think it's something that we need to cultivate for ourselves as well. But then there's a paradox because we also need to work on ourselves. It doesn't mean that uh, we're the finished product. And we were talking last time about how parenting works on us. Even as we raise our kids, we ourselves must change and must grow, must develop. And so the other angle on imperfect parenting is an invitation to all of us to actually take a deep breath and and take a proper look at ourselves and for goodness sake to grow. Rob, that's... um I, I think I agree with you, all right? Uh, well, I do. I do agree with you. It's it's not simple. <laughs> it's you know as I as I listen to you, uh, to first of all to accept oneself is 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 tough stuff. I don't know whether you find it tough, but I certainly you know I do. Um, that's the first part, and the second part as well is growth is hard. Um, or am I am I um, naive in my thinking? Stu, you bang on. Um. And look, what I'm going to do for now anyway, for this podcast, I'm going to bounce away from self-acceptance just for this this podcast. Uh, I do believe that's a practice, by the way. I think it's something that we must practice and cultivate. Um, It's not something that's going to be a once-off thing that we can carry forward um, as adults. There's too much in life that knocks us off base. So how do we come back to a place of of deep self-acceptance. So Rob, you're saying, you're saying basically that there's, there's always going to be times where you don't accept yourself. Uh, and, and I realize that, that we, we're going somewhere else now, but, but just, just quickly, you realize that there's going to be times like that and, and it's finding ways to come back and to, to go, I'm okay. I'm okay who I am and, and how I am and, and where I am. That's right. I mean, I think, look, we live in a transactional world and by that I mean that in this world, uh, people want stuff from us. So a lot of relationship is is commercial. It's um, in, it's transactional. Um, I'm in this relationship because of what I can get out of it or what you can get out of it. Um, so so much of a relationship is transactional. Not family though. Family oughtn't to be like that. It can be like that, and it's the kiss of death. But we need space, we need family, we need community where it's not transactional. It's around encounter. 
which is a, a totally different order of relationship. Encounter is around, here I am sitting in this room with you, Stu, and it's about being with you. Um, the you-ness of you, uh, the uniqueness of you, this once-off creation that is uh, Stu, Stu Walker. And for me to love that and to experience that. And of course, uh, you do the same for me. And that's what friendship is about. A friendship, family, community ought to be non-transactional. I know it isn't always non-transactional, but that's the idea. Sure. Some of that um, sort of sent shivers through me as I th- as I think about the times when when uh, I just automatically do go tr- transactional, <laughs> and um, like you say, I think it is quite a normal experience of day to day life that so much of life is transactional, and that you are trying to get something f- out of your relationship, and so that is, I think it's really really difficult. Um, to to snap out of that when you are dealing with with that in day to day life, often in most circumstances, to actually allow yourself to, like you say, to just be be present and to to be with um, someone and not, uh, yeah. I don't really have a question, Rob. But just uh, just uh, really to reflect on that is is really important, and the fact that you say that it's the kiss of death in family. That's um, really really important to hear that. I think for myself. But let's stay with this this self acceptance, and what I'm going to throw into that is the self and other acceptance. It's again this this uh, foundational fundamental self-other encounter that goes on in family or that that should go on in family. I mean, it's something that can happen spontaneously. You know, like when um, you see your child sleeping and you look at them and now <laughs> a few, uh, perhaps half an hour ago, you had this tearaway running around completely out of your control and, uh, you know, you've got all of these things that you're wanting to do and you're wanting to parent then by golly, uh, she falls asleep and you look at her face, you look at her, her body quietly breathing and you get a sense of the, the essence of your daughter um, lying there or the essence of your son. And of course it can happen in other spaces where um, of course our, our children get a sense of us as well. We let them in on us, not straight away, uh, but, but, but bit by bit over the years they get a sense of us as well. I mean you... You're a son still, you've got parents, and uh, you know, I think you can relate to that idea of actually maybe in the car sitting alongside mom or dad and realizing again something of, of their humanity, something about their spirit that uh, is tangible to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that, that what's interesting for me is as I think of my mom and dad, I think of um, I'm still learning about them in some ways. And possibly i grew up in quite a um a traditional family setup and i think uh it wasn't normal in the in the sort of culture of the time to kind of be vulnerable i suppose is the word and uh, for me um it's actually been interesting to see my mom and dad become more vulnerable in time and it's been interesting for me to get to know them so yes definitely i remember sitting and 
and getting to know a little bit more of who mom and dad were. Uh, but even today, still today, uh, I am experiencing that. And, I th- and, I w- and it, it makes me th- wonder, how do you cultivate that, that kind of just being? I mean, give, can you give us one practical sort of idea of, of, of just being and just, uh, and, and, and not allowing that, that death spiral of just trying to get things done constantly. So, um, maybe I will come at that by way of a very short story. Um, and, uh, it's not just one working parent I've spoken to in this regard. It's, it's a few over the years. Um, and we've spoken about this need to, to, I guess, really center the self. So again, it starts with self connection. It starts with making sure that we aren't too jangled. Um, and disrupted inside and I think you and I know that feeling that feeling of tension that feeling of worry those outer distresses yeah absolutely we know that it's going on um, and we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our kids to have some kind of buffer zone I think uh, that protects family space from all of the noise all of the demand so to come back to the story uh, certainly one dad I've spoken to recently he's made a commitment that um, before he he leaves the office, he sits in his car, he centers himself, partly because it's going to make him a better driver, but mostly because when he arrives home, he doesn't want to have work in his head. He wants to actually be in a fresh space where as his little kiddies run towards him, he can actually see them and be with them from the moment that front door opens and he walks through the th- through the threshold but he has to be conscious about that and deliberate about it sure that's fantastic rob and and rob i mean what what would you do if you had to get in the car and sit there for a while would you i mean because obviously thoughts can rush through your head about everything that's going on you know i think of one or two things from my my work and i think of um that are troubling me at the moment and i feel like the first thing i'll do is sit down in the car and that'll just that'll just rush in and and um, that'll be what I'll be thinking about, and then I won't arrive home fresh. So wonderful practitioners of mindfulness will tell us that there is a working mind and a being mind. And working mind is something that we deploy in an everyday kind of way. And it's really a problem-solving mind. It scurries from problem to problem, wanting to sort out all the demands and issues that we face on any given day. And being mind is really the mind or the space that we want to access for relational encounter. So I think that for me anyway, what I do is first of all, being aware that I'm in that working mind, that problem solving mind. I know I'm there because I can feel it. There's a physiological tension that goes with that. And um, very typically what I will do is I will start with my breathing and I'll slow it down. I'll do what's called a six-count breath that maybe we can go into sometime, which is a way of really, I guess, centering the self physically and um, getting into a space where I'm just more settled and calm. Um, Yes, the problems still exist, but I'm much more focused on where I am right now. My senses are reawakened. I'm able to actually notice things that are around me. I'm not caught up in that steady stream of problems that are always available to me if I want to go there. Um, so, But I need space and a bit of time to do that. I'm talking at least five minutes or so. 
The other thing that I would do, though, once I've done that, is I like to deliberately bring my children's faces into my mind and my wife as well. I like to actually deliberately think of them and once again marvel at them, at these incredible creations that I've got the absolute privilege of doing life with. And I actually remember just how much I love these uh, these wretched creatures. And uh, it's with that kind of loving anticipation that I like to open the door. Sure, Rob. That's beautiful. Well, that's, that brings us to the end of our our second podcast, Imperfect Parenting. And uh, again, if you enjoyed that and you want to explore a little bit more, there'll be some some quotes and some uh, things we're going to post up on Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram. So join us there. And if you want to ask some questions, um, throw out some questions and, and Rob will look to, to answer your questions. Been great chatting to you, Rob, as always. And you, Stu.